Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here, and and, um, congratulations on the film. You um, have had, I guess, your own relationship with John Keats over the years. If we've, people have watched your films know that as early as An Angel at My Table, you have a character reciting from Keats. And in your recent film, In the Cut, you also um, have some, some Keats. So could you talk about your love affair with the poetry of John Keats? You know, actually, it's not as... Um... <laughs> <laughs> For me, poetry has been a late joy. I, I think I had problems with it when I was young because I, I found it quite hard to understand. I used to feel stupid. <laughs> but as I turned 50, I thought, I, you know, I've got to make some effort to turn this around. And um, I read Andrew Motion's biography of Keats, thinking, you know, getting the context and the situation would probably help me. But what I wasn't prepared for, about halfway through the book, John Keats met Fanny Braun, and as you've probably seen. It's a remarkable love story. Um, I I think uh, as powerful and as pure and innocent as Romeo and Juliet in its own way. Plus it really happened. And um, there's 33 love letters and notes that uh, Fanny Braun kept her whole life and um, then her children sold. So we actually do have the exact letters that uh, Keats wrote Fanny and Fanny read. And I found that was um, just moved me so much. And you, you were reading this during, um, after your, your uh, last probably, film? Yeah, it was or? a long time ago, you know, like eight or nine years ago. But it made me go and read his letters. Um, there's quite a few good collections of Keats's letters. And they're fantastic because he, he talks about everything. And he's very funny as well as he's serious. He talks about the soul and his theories about it, about poetry, but also very gossipy and... Um, um, funny, you know, witty and um, light and warm. And I, I kind of fell in love with him through his letters. And, but I, I couldn't imagine a film, you know, and like people are allergic to poetry, really. So <laughs> they don't not like it. They <laughs> feel aggressive about it. Hmm. Um, what happened was that I came up with the idea of telling the story through Fanny Braun, who I also really loved. And I thought if I... If I do it with her, then she can meet him, fall in love with him. She also wasn't a natural um, lover of poetry. Like She learnt about it through Keats. And then we'll have the, the most intense time of Keats's life, the time you know, when he was 23 and he wrote his great odes and he also was in love. And also um, Keats's death when you know, she loses him. And I felt it would be a way to... Uh, you know, there's a bulk of material, and I thought it'd be a way to control the material. And um, once I had that idea, I asked, um, well, Francois, even though he's here today, our Pathé um, financier, asked me what I wanted to do next. And I, I said I had this, this idea of a love story, and he didn't even know who Keats was because he's French. <laughs> Supposing you here, Francois. <laughs> um, but he responded to the story and he said, let's do it. I mean, I was very surprised, but it just has gone on that way. I always thought I was going to be making a very, very small film. Hmm. Um, but it, 
It's, um, it's one from the heart for me and I've just adored that exploration I've had into his life and feel for me he's like a friend, you know. Hmm. And, and of course you have, it's, it's also a sort of an interesting triangle because you have this other great character of Brown who is, you have sort of a love triangle where it's instead of two men in love with the same woman, it's one man and one woman in love with the same yeah, Man. Brown's a beautiful character. In some ways, I feel most like him because he's uh, someone who can see talent. And I think as a director, you often feel like that. You're the one that's um, looking at the actor's work, yeah. you know, who are out there and exposing themselves. And in those moments when they really fly, you're, you, you know you can't do it and you're just so... I mean, I feel so enthralled with them when they, you know, are doing stuff you couldn't imagine. Right. And... Um, so I feel like uh, Brown is the guy that wants to be the poet but can't, and his best friend is the poet. Hmm. And he wants to protect him, you know? And, and of course, um, you know, as the director, uh, as somebody who observes talent, you have to find, you have to cast. I mean, the casting is so vital, and you found these great actors, uh, Ben Wishaw and Abby Cornish, um, who, who embody these roles. Paul Schneider. Um, yeah. Right, and Paul Schneider yeah. is Brown. So could you talk about, about that, about casting? Oh, casting is... Um, it's, it makes you feel quite neurotic because you don't know your film very well at the time that you're casting. Um, quite often, it's well ahead of pre-production and it's, it's going to make such a difference to how the whole film goes. Yeah. But my experience now is that, um, you know, people kind of come to the roles and they claim them. And my job is just to sort of notice who's, who's grasped it. And in this case, it was definitely um, Abby Cornish and Ben Wishaw. Mm-hmm. Paul Schneider was a late arrival. I was I mean, really imagining I would have an English actor. But I loved him so much in um, uh, the Jesse James movie that I, was, I saw in Venice when I was a judge there. And just had this hunch that he could do it. The film has a great combination of feelings sort of observed. Um, It's very literary. The script is very literary. It starts off with this great sort of banter um, in that opening scene, um, you know, with Fanny putting down Keats and and his poetry. Um, So this is great dialogue, but it also feels as though you're you're really observing it, that this is just happening in the present. It's, I think, of all the period films that... you know that I've seen, and I imagine people feel this way. This one really feels like you're, it's just happening in the moment. It doesn't feel like. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. It's this part of time in my life, but um, or the story in particular. Uh, but I really wanted to have um, a sense of just being from the actors, mm-hmm. and I noticed myself in rehearsal when everybody, you know, is feeling nervous and they're trying to make an impression and we're all stumbling around and whenever people were sort of like trying to act and mm. trying to push the story forward in rehearsals it was just like oh and I'd glance over and someone would be just quietly reading a book in the corner I'd go oh that looks interesting mm. <laughs> it was just whenever people were relaxed and the, the work was coming from that place that um, instinctively I thought oh, you know this is such an intimate story we it'll be so much more powerful if we really believe it and do you go in with a very clear idea of what you want to do visually? Um, there's such a control of light. I mean, the, the sort of use of 
sunlight the way light is a kind of character in the film? I, you know, I have to give the credit to my DOP, mm-hmm. Greg Fraser. He's really young. He's about <laughs> early 30s. But I, I made a short film with him, and again, I, I just think he thinks like a camera. So <laughs> <laughs> and um, he did, you know, he just, is, he just loves his work, and... Um, I remember when on the short film, one of the first shots was of a horse rolling and I was rehearsing the children somewhere and it was like a pre-shot and I went out to, you know, it said at 3pm we'll shoot this shot and I went out to join him with his crew and he said, oh, I already shot that one. <laughs> I was like, I don't know whether to be like, you know, really furious, like I'm the director, you should be waiting for me, this is outrageous. And they said, I'll just show you, maybe you want to do something else and, and I looked at it and I went like, couldn't have done better. <laughs> this is like a dream, you know, mm-hmm. when you have a um, talented young DOP like that. But um, one, of the, one of the things I think I went into the film with was this idea of classicism, that I didn't want to have a lot of um, director shot signatures. I wanted mm-hmm. to keep a very simple frame and um, what ended up really happening was that I think it gives a slightly sort of 3D feeling as you move around and inside and with them but the camera is not um, um, pulling attention to itself in any way. It's doing the opposite. It's allowing you to look where you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film, the relationship um, betw- between Keats and and Fanny um, has this this combination of restraint and passion. I mean, the passion often it comes out in, in the word, you know, in the words. Um, and there's a chastity to the relationship, which is a little bit different than some of the relationships we've seen in previous films. But um, there's real power to it. So, could you talk about that sort of? I think um, that you know what I was really taken by the story was the. Um, connection between the two people the, and, and the tenderness really and um, I think it's what everybody really yearns for I mean sex is great but connection and um, oh well you know to me sensitivity tenderness are values that um, are things that I really value and the story is the story seemed like an opportunity. It seemed like it was central to it. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the? Uh, for, for you, why does he? Why does he leave at the end? Like I know you sort of say that, in, or he explains <laughs> he it because very, he left. <laughs> he explains it very beautifully in the film, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Uh, Keats. Um, why did he go to Italy? Right. It was a painful thing for him. Um, in reality, I mean, I, it's we didn't. I mean, I'm telling you because I know the, all the ins and outs of it, but um, in reality, the doctors told him you will not survive another year, another winter in England. That's not possible. You must leave. Um, maybe, almost certainly, he was going to die anyway. And I think Keats had a lot of regrets, a lot of second thoughts about um, going to Italy and there was a time when his ship couldn't leave it kept being pushed back towards England and he had to come back on shore and he then thought again I, perhaps I'll just go back and be with Fanny back at Wentworth Place with the Brawns but he did leave and I think part of the reason why he left was he had been the witness to two family members who died of consumption 
his mother and his brother, who was only 19, as you see in the movie. And um, I think he, he didn't want Fanny to see what was going to happen to him. Um, he, he studied medicine too, and he, he knew what was coming to him. Yeah. And he, he, he said, I'd rather, I don't want to go out like a frog croaking in the mist. Hmm. Uh, if you could talk, you are, you know, work both as writer and director, and I just wonder if you can talk about how, how you kind of divide up these two steps in your mind. When you're writing, you know, are you visualizing um, shots? Uh, you know, it's like I'm split personality. <laughs> um, the hope, I think, or directors that don't write, I think, imagine I've got such an advantage because I'm probably thinking or seeing it all in shots, but I just don't do that. Right. I tend to write as if it's happening in the real world, as if it's 3D, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just sort of in the room wherever around them and I you know I can't I don't think in shots it's just like happening and then um, later on with my director hat on I try to find that thing you know that kind of harmony between form and content find a way to shoot it that really works with the story Mm -hmm. Um, and um, and, you know and with who I am too you know mm -hmm. and how I respond to it the costume design is so expressive and so beautiful throughout the film. So could you talk about that, about your involvement? I think the film, um, because of uh, Fanny's obsession with fashion, naturally the costumes were important to us and also that they were uh, hand-sewn. And um, probably you people here don't know this, but Fanny Braun's um, uncle was Beau Brummel, who was the... Uh, <laughs> famous Regency fop. Um, I, I didn't... In, I wanted to include in the story, but the facts were he, at, uh, in 1818, had already been exiled to France, so I made it one of my kind of precepts to stick with the, the timing. As, as, you know, obviously, I don't know really what they said to each other, but I, I used the truth of, you know, who was around, what the timing was, um, to, to just um, minimise the fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to ask you one thing and then open it up to questions from the audience but the um, it has been four years since the last film and I'm wondering if the time um, in terms of uh, the time that you had to take time to let, the, let this develop and to you know, maybe think and read and, and it seems to be on the screen here in the, in the film in a way and I wonder okay. if you could talk about that because I think we, we probably all know directors who crank out a film every year and we wish that they wouldn't make so many sometimes i'm not going to name any names but um you know when i i it's actually probably six years since i last made a film i made a short film but um i think as um i really did take that four years off sincerely not knowing if i would make any more i thought it was time for me to think about you know maybe i'd done everything i needed to do or wanted to do Hmm. in film and i have a i had a young eight or nine year old daughter I wanted to just be a parent and uh, and just, um, you know, when you make a film, it has to be like a necessity. It's such a hard job. It's such a um, compulsive, obsessional uh, project. I, I, you know, film can take all of your time and then more some, you know. I never feel I'm enough for what I'm doing. Um, but with this story, I... 
I kind of calmed down a lot. I mean, I remember a time when I was doing my job at the time, which was doing nothing, and I was in, sitting in a paddock with some horses, and I had a little thermos of coffee. They were just a ragtag group of horses I used to like to sit with and read. And um, they all wandered off except one mare. And um, I could see she was really interested in what was in um, the bag that was next to me. And she was just standing quite patiently. And then after a while, she used her hoof very gently to lift the lid of the bag. And then she put her nose into the bag and just sort of sniffed to check whether there was any um, carrot or (laughs) apple or sugar. And I was watching her doing it right close to her. And I just thought, you know, that's what I love. You know, that, (laughs) that tenderness, that gentleness... That's what I, you know, have come to appreciate now in the world. And, and I felt kind of confident. I thought, you know, the story, Bright Star, has those qualities. You know, those are qualities I want to stand up for. We probably also have, this is probably the tenderest, um, most understanding mother we have in It is, in, isn't in it? <laughs> so maybe the... <laughs> there is another mother than the Jane Austen mothers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we have time for a few questions. We'll uh, start over here. Did this film make you rethink your own films, or and, and your? Yeah, I, I think yourself? the um, I guess the seriousness of what this couple went through, um, their genuine feeling for each other, the tenderness, it, it made me want to be very simple um, hmm. about the way I did it. You know, there wasn't any room for my flourishes; didn't need it, and I, it, it just made me feel. Um, like um, giving them a very good, clean stage. It made me feel classical about it, you know, wanting to to do that. Um, I think what's been the gift to me from this film is that I have felt more confidence about poetry in my life and, you know, I read a lot more of it. And it's a bit like planting a garden in your head hmm. that... Um, can bloom because you can go back to the poems and they never quite hit you the same way. I used to think there was a definitive interpretation of a poem, but now I know that's not the case. There's some things you live with and they're very hardy. You can't really fuck them up. <laughs> They'll survive you. <laughs> Do you read any French poets? Or, I, I can't read French, read, sorry. Well, what poets or what other po- but, poets? Um, I like Walt Whitman and Robert Frost. Mm. I like Elizabeth Bishop. Um, I mean, I'm, I've really got a pretty wide appetite for poets. I'm just thinking of some American ones right now. Down here? Uh, I, I have a question, but first I must say that there were times when I was watching this and I could see it right in front of me and I thought, how did I have it? Because it seemed to me that you had undertaken a virtually impossible film, which takes the time for all the great Thank you. Hmm. So he, he wants to know about the rehearsal process, in case you didn't hear, and, and how you developed this rapport, uh, the closeness between the actors. You know, I was stumbling in the dark hair, and I had to, um, because I was doing it in different ways. You can see it's more... Um, Sensitive, there's somehow more being, you know, up up there in the stage than I've normally been able to achieve. And 
Um, I remembered um, this concept that Keats has called negative capability, and it's... Um, you know, when I first mentioned the actors, one of them quipped, yeah, yeah, so it is a little bit negative in the room. <laughs> I was like, no, no, it doesn't mean that. But um, it, what it means is the capacity to stay in the mystery, in doubt, without grasping after fact or reason. And it's like we all had to build those muscles, that we had to create a space, that we didn't have to have the answer straight away, that we almost had to um, just not know for a little while. And, and let things develop, let things evolve without going, well, you should stand there and you should do this and you should do that and you know, the point of the scene is this. And it, 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 for me it was about, um, I don't know, allowing some grace in and, and having the confidence to do it because people get nervous. They get like, you know, well, this doesn't seem like a real rehearsal. Hmm. What's happening? Shouldn't we do the scenes and, you know, shouldn't we find out what the point of it is and, you know, I could come in here. I could be carrying something. <laughs> I, I, I could be doing the tea. And I'm just going... <laughs> so it, it was like last... I had to last them all out, you know? Sometimes I'd just sit in the room with them, you know? And we'd be have... You know, we have scenes that we want to look at and there was more dissent than I've ever had in a rehearsal. Mm. Um, and I guess you know that's something I've probably tried to avoid before <laughs> by moving things along and um, you know I think s slowly slowly people came to understand what was happening what dissent was together with me you know because they were it's uncomfortable in that space you know when things aren't moving ahead in a clear... Is, are people with me here? Did they just yeah. want like specific actions yeah, they to want do? They didn't very feel clear like they, tasks. So yeah. they didn't feel like they were They didn't, they didn't know <laughs> what we were looking for yet because right. we hadn't found it. It was like I was waiting for everyone to just calm down, you know? Yeah. And then I'd go like... You know, it was just like that. Then you'd just go like, that, that's working over there, you know? And i say, I'm just reading my book. Yeah, well, that's great, you know? <laughs> Mm -hmm. You're not trying, you're not doing anything. It was like just dropping down. Everyone's had to drop down into themselves. And it's like, you know, that alchemy that has to happen between the actor's actual personality, the actual charisma and the character that they're presenting. Also, a couple of our actors had some major accents to cope with, you know, like um, Abby Cornish's broad Australian. Mm. And, you know, she had to find, a, um, find her English accent or Fanny's accent, you know, which is really hard when you're doing very, you know, sensitive personal work yeah. to find, you know, to be halfway through learning your accent. Yeah. So, so how do you know when you have that moment? I mean, because you, do you, do you just have sort of an instinct about it? Do you have to look yeah, at Yeah, I feel it in video? my body. I feel it in my body. When I, when I see something, um, first of all, I think I'm mad, what, what's going on? And then, you know, I'll slowly start to see it in people. Oh, um, I can remember a moment when the little girl, um, Edie and Abby, were just reading on the bed together. I do exercises with them, which are very simple, you know. Okay, you're just reading together on the bed. You're just in the room together. Or, you know, um, Ben, you practice your handwriting. Abby, you sit next to him, practice sewing. And as after a while, I'll, I'll, I'll be watching them, and I think, that's the mood I want. That's it. I'm starting to see it. And then do you also observe things about them that you don't tell them? Like, for example, a number of writers said that Ben 
which show how it sort of act, looks like a cat or acts like a cat. It's something some people have said. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't imagine you tell him. You look like a cat. Right. <laughs> that would probably not be a good thing to tell an actor. Yeah, you have to resist, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining most people here are interested in directing. and um, it, it's You have to watch what you say. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's never a good idea to say, that's what I want you to do. Right. And, and you know, my actors speak to me pretty plainly, and, and I'm, I'm happy for that, like... Um, I remember Paul Schneider saying, don't tell me what to do, you know, I'll never be able to do it. And, you know, he'd say, use verbs, use verbs, you know. Hmm. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I let them do that. And so I wrote down all the verbs. Because it does help. It really is, it's hard for them when you say, um, when you pin something, because it's in their head and they can't repeat it. Nothing can be repeated. Uh, so I'd say that's the general idea, you know. We're in the air. We're in the, we're in the right area now. Yeah. That's the sort of closest I get. Or, I, you know, when I'm actually shooting, I, I you know, I'll just say, uh, hey, uh, you know, it's feeling good now. Let's just keep doing a few more. And have you been evolving more? Is that, or, or I might say, I can see your plan yeah. is showing up, you know, to an actor. You've got to drop it now. You've got to trust yourself. Have you been like evolving towards towards this? I mean, is, is it is your approach different in this film than on earlier films? Um, maybe I have been evolving towards it. I don't yeah. quite know. I mean, I can also see the point of doing something which is incredibly mannered. Right. I mean, it is a choice. Everything is a choice. Yeah. Okay. It's time for a few more. So over here. I mean, in the end, what you're trying to do is get to a truth somehow. Yeah. I think this film is so emotional. So I was trying to get. A space, you know, where the audience would feel unmanipulated, where they were not manipulated, in fact, but it was just the story was there for them. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. With the child, with Toots, with that character, shows up at important times. What, did, what were you she actually? About thank that? you for reminding me about her. Um, Toots, Margaret, or Edie, as she really is. Um, she was such an important uh, talisman for us in many ways because she did embody that quality of delicacy just naturally. And I remember when she came into the rehearsal room, um, everyone was, I don't know, I mean, like lounging around and, you know, and she came in and she was like a little butterfly arriving. And she was really there already where everyone else had to go. <laughs> and um, people could see it, you know, and it would, it would have been so easy to kind of crush that thing. But what the feeling was, and was that, isn't it a miracle that something, someone like this is here in this world? Hmm. And you did not want to hurt it. You wanted to protect it. And, I, you know, she also, you know, created that leadership in a way. Yeah. And there's also a quality to Keith's uh, a child like quality. I mean, there's a rapport between the two of them. Yeah, I think um, Ben, well, both Ben and Abby are great with children and cats. <laughs> what about our cat? Yeah, no, Ben is, um, he's, he's, he's a very instinctive person. And, um, he, you know, someone who reads energy, I think, 
and um, I'm, I'm kind of very aware of his energy. And I think directors are people that read energy. And, you know, you can see if something's troubling an actor or in the pathway and, you know, you try to pull it out or name it or move things on. We have kind of one over here. Go ahead. No, over here. a question about the, style, the sort of muted style of the musical score does that have to do yeah, with this? We had this issue because we had poetry in the film as well like quite a lot of it that um, I mean I personally love the music in the film and it's very simple, it's all working off that Mozart piece that the um, guys get together to do a vocal version of um, the duets are the same and um, music was done by Mark Bradshaw he's 23 at the time I asked him to do it just a really uniquely talented guy um, we, we talked about it and what we did was we didn't want to, to tell people how to feel so you'll find that there's no you know as they're about to come up to, to kiss or something there's no music we're not saying here we go this is the moment um, <laughs> We, we don't feel any need to heighten it, you know, you just have the experience you have of it. But afterwards what we did was like, um, in a way, capture the um, what had been collected by the storytelling and that's where we'd bring our music in. Mm. Um, so after the kiss there's um, quite a heightened moment when they're both remembering that time in their separate ways. She's in the room and the wind's wafting up her dress and he's on the top of the tree. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, it was a conscious choice to keep the film um, classical. Um, simplicity was like, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> um, it just felt like, um, to me, as I said, the stories are very powerful. And I, you know, I didn't want to, I, I didn't need any signature from me. Uh, we just have time for one more. So down here. <laughs> okay, if you could talk about your sense of place. She's homesick for England or, uh, after watching this film. So. Yeah, I think I discovered England in making this movie because, you know, where I'm from, the leaves are always, always on the tree. We, we don't have a visible season, um, both in New Zealand and Australia. Um, so it was fantastic for me to discover um, England through the seasons, to be there through the winter. And it, you sometimes don't even recognise the locations we chose by the time we got there to shoot them, you know, um, in spring and early summer. Um, I didn't first uh, read Keats in England. I, I first read him, I guess, in my classroom at New Zealand and um, at university. 
where I, I kind of pretty much misread him. <laughs> um, but, you know, since then, I'm, I'm a, a kind of Keats trooper. I've been to, of course, his house in Hampstead. I've been to the house he, or the little museum, the Keats Shelley Byron Museum by the Spanish Steps in Rome. Okay. So. Well, good, uh, thanks again, and good luck. Good luck with the movie, and um, you. See, you, see you again. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.